Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. We're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 103. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, you had to hold it down the fort with me last week, man. I was out sick, and uh, I hadn't listened to the episode yet, but I expect I uh, didn't get very good treatment on the last show. Oh, no, Josh. We we sang your praises. We sang your praises. We talked about how great of a fisherman you were and, uh, you know, really, really gave you the, the props that you deserved. Um, no, it was it was really a tribute to you and you as a, you as a man. That's what we did. So uh, don't worry. No need to go back and listen to that. It was um, 100% positive, everything on the up and up. And, uh, I mean, you know, I got to say, though, I'm kind of impressed because it's the first time you've called in sick in like three weeks. So that was, it's like a record for you. So it's good to, <laughs> good to see. Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm thinking this is a booby trap. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to go check it out, check the show out and see exactly what y'all said about me. No, no, it was all good. It was all good. It's just we love Josh. Josh is great. Josh caught a lot of fish or something like that. Speaking of fish, Josh, Baffin Bay Rod and Gun is our podcast sponsor for this month and next month, which means we have two trips left. So if you want to go fishing with Josh and myself, you need to go to TexasOnGasPodcast.com slash fishing. Or if you want to take your client or family or whomever on a fishing trip, go to BaffinBayRodAndGun.com and be sure to tell them that we sent you. I know Josh is talking to some listeners they have, uh, there's some folks who are looking to go down there and make some trips, so it's it's a great spot. It's a little bit of a drive, but it is definitely worth it. It's a, uh, and we got to stay last time in the, in the big, nice suite. That was nice, and so uh, really enjoyed our stay at Baffin Bay. We'll be going down there again in just, was it two weeks, Josh? Three weeks, something like that? I think it's three weeks, right? We uh, Unless we moved it up a week, I think, I think it's three weeks. It's 20-something of May, yeah, three weeks. Yeah. So three weeks from now. So if you haven't signed up, TexasOnGasPodcast.com slash fishing is where you can do that. Um, so, yeah, man, no, it was all great. You know, we uh, had a good time fishing with you. And, you know, I, I got to say, Josh, you did catch a fish this time. So, you know, it was. Uh, I did catch know. a fish. I caught 10 fish, man. I was uh, I was kicking everybody's butt out there. Except for the fact that you caught the big one. That's what you're going to say. Yeah. Well, I don't, you know. You make the rules up, and so by the rules, it was a, actually a three-way tie. So a four-way tie, actually. Four-way um, tie. Actually, by the, yeah. the first fish, we met with a listener before we went, and he said first fish, most fish, and biggest fish. And so we modified it to say first fish, most fish that we kept, because you can catch them that you don't keep, obviously, and then biggest fish. So um, one of the listeners caught the first fish. Josh and the listeners split the most fish um, in the boat, and of course your boy caught the big fish. That's not really a shock to anybody. So, um, which which tragic is it's really coming down to May because you can't go in June because you have you have a baby coming. So really, this whole thing will come down to May to see who is the the Baffin Bay champion. Um, I've won one. You haven't won any. So really, um, you know, a lot, a lot of pressure on you to pull it out here just to keep it a draw. So because if 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 we tie again in May. I will still have won one. You haven't won any. So just to keep make sure we're clear that I've won one and you, you haven't won any. Just make sure there's no doubt about that. Yeah, well, best I can do is draw, but I, I would say, you know, if I can pull one in 30 inches in, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, have, to, we'll have to call it a tiebreaker. You land a 30-incher, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll call it a tiebreaker. 
Well, Ryan, we've had lots of information, lots of news came out this week. Uh, everybody was talking about the Chevron and a Darko deal. Uh, well, that got a little interesting this past week where Oxy uh, ended up submitting another offer. And um, it's been interesting watching in the news how this stuff's going back and forth and how all these different facets are, are looked at by these companies when offers made. You know, they're saying they prefer Chevron stocks. Um, so we're going to get into some of that here in just a minute. There was an article that came out, though, that was talking about uh, Permian Basin oil and gas companies work to address infrastructure needs. And ConocoPhillips, uh, they're, pre- they're preparing to relocate, I think, 50 employees to some remote locations. And they're wanting to, uh, they're wanting to up some of their infrastructure around the Permian area, especially in the Delaware Basin. So I'm expecting to see companies begin to start to move that way, you know, uh, over the next couple of years with the the way that the Permian is going to be getting some action. But it's good to see that there are some infrastructure that is being put there uh, because I don't know if you've been out there, but it's not a lot out there. So uh, more yeah, I've been out there once or twice, needed. just once or twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, in, in terms of in terms of seeing this infrastructure, do you think this is something that's going to be a long term thing, or do you think it's just a short term? Get it out there while it's hot, and then it'll all kind of die down. Yeah, that's a, a interesting question on you know what exactly these companies are focusing on and how they're going to, to handle that in the coming years. Because um, you know, if you think like this, there, there's there's Right now, we're seeing, as you mentioned, you got the Oxy and Chevron and uh, Anadarko deal going on, and we've talked about it on the show before. Josh is that it kind of feels like you know the long term viability of these markets will be based upon based upon the ability of um, the bigger companies to come in, absorb the smaller companies, and then they'll be the ones that kind of you know I don't want to say maintain the market, but have a large portion of the market share. Uh, and big companies do things a lot differently than small companies do. So I think the the more you see, you know, ConocoPhillips, a Chevron, or a, um, you know, an ExxonMobil, whomever that may be, to to that they're they're planning long term assets out there. They're going to want to do things a little bit differently than someone like you know, even though Pioneer's a big company, um, you know, ExxonMobil compared to Pioneer is just night and day. So the the bigger companies think differently. So if they're going to move out there and they're going to be out there, they're going to want to do things probably a little bit differently. Than the big companies, and this might be one of the the benefits of that. Well, speaking of the Chevron Oxy deal, you know Chevron, I believe the their original offer was fifty billion once everything was factored in, and I think Oxy came back this week with the fifty seven billion. Um, we have a couple of articles, one from Drilling Info and the other one from CNBC. And they they they're talking about how this isn't a normal for. A deal this size, there's normally not multiple bidders. There's not a bidding war that gets started. Have you ever seen anything of this size where someone, it looks like a deal is closed, and then oh, two weeks later um, another offer is made that could possibly jeopardize that first deal? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that before we got on here because it was weird when it happened that, you know, it was like, oh, wow, okay, uh, Chevron's going to buy a Darko. And then within an hour or two, it was all of a sudden – um, you know, Oxy was actually trying to do it and actually had a better original bid, if I remember correctly. Um, and of course, now they do for sure. And so I, I kind of thought that was going to be it. That was going to be, you know, okay, well, whatever happened, they decided to go with Chevron. Uh, and then now it's it's kind of resurfacing. And I, yeah, I can't think of, because 
and this might be just didn't read the actual press release well enough, but my understanding was the deal was done because that's, that's how the headlines read was it you know this was done, uh, but obviously it's not done or uh, they're trying to back out of it or they're they're reconsidering or or trying to leverage this for for something else. Um, so and, and this might be something where you know these are publicly traded companies or certain legalities they had to go through. You know I don't I'm not a publicly traded company expert, so I'm not sure maybe that's that's part of the deal here. But no, to answer your question, I, I thought when it was announced, it was done. And then when they found out that Oxy was going after it, I just kind of felt like, well, Oxy must have, they must have dismissed the boat for whatever reason. And um, and so, no, I'm, I'm surprised it's still going on. And I don't know, you know, what the long-term implications are here because if Chevron, you know, loses out, what do they do? Do they then go after someone else? Or if Oxy doesn't get it, you know, what happens to the, to the, to the loser here? Is really a question that I have. Um, you know, how does that shake out? Because they're they're pretty invested in this, and so it could be a deal where only Anadarko, they're all, they only want Anadarko's assets for something uh, for some particular reason. But that's unlikely. So the loser, you would imagine, is going to go and do something else. So that would be kind of what I'm watching for: is whoever whoever loses out here is do they then go and try to pick up someone else's assets or or multiple companies' assets? Because you know, fifty seven billion is a lot of money. You could buy a lot of small companies with that, for sure. Well, yeah. one of the interesting things that I saw was how they were, um, number one, Chevron's uh, shares were more appealing to the Anadarko folks, the shareholders at Anadarko. So they they were more interested in getting shares of Chevron than they are shares of Oxy, which makes sense that Chevron, I think they said, was four times the size of Oxy. So it makes sense, and they've been around a long time. Right. Um, but the question, one of the questions I had was Oxy, they're, they're coming in and saying that their production, I think they were saying they use 27% less sand, uh, when they drill. So they're saving like $500,000 per drill or per whale, sorry. And then, um, and also the, the production numbers they are putting up, they have, I mean, they're just producing at a higher level than anyone out there right now, including Chevron. I mean, they're Chevron and Oxy, they're both one and two, um, or top two. But Oxy's efficiency has been the best in the Permian. Uh, and so what they're saying is, is that if they were to get something like Anadarko, that they would be able to get a better return for the shareholders of Anadarko. So they would actually, not only are they paying them more money up front, but they're also going to be able to increase the, the value of the company more because they're better at drilling in the Permian, as they've shown for the last couple of years. So that's an interesting argument they're making there, and I'm curious to see how Anadarko is going to respond to it. I mean, most reporters that I'm seeing are saying that Chevron's definitely the clear leader, um, but some of that stuff seems appealing. I mean, that it, looking at their numbers and, and their production rates, I mean, it's it speaks for itself. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it shakes out. And it's looking at it at the time of this recording, um, Oxy's trading at almost sixty dollars, fifty nine eighty nine. And Chevron's at 117, so you could say that, you know, Chevron stock is basically double um, yeah. what Oxy stock is, and you know, I mean, obviously that's um, is what it is. But I, yeah, I don't know. You know, you would presume that when they buy, whoever buys up Anadarko is going to incorporate Anadarko's technology and Anadarko's methods, and and you know, what, and maybe not all of it, but they're going to be able to to go in there and say, okay, well, you know. Um, this is how they. This is how Anadarko had results. Couple that with what 
you know, um, what our results are, um, and then and then improve the technology. So Oxy might have the advantage now, but at Chevron might be looking at going, well, um, you know, we're going to learn some things from Anadarko, and that might help them out. So, uh, but hmm. just a thought there. So it's true. Well, uh, a report came out from Sergio uh, drilling down um, Carrizo oil and gas find steady profits in Eagleford. And it's, uh, it's got a lot of good information in here. I mean, the first thing they mentioned is uh, Carrizo, they earned $376 million profit on $1.1 billion of, of revenue. So they had definitely, definitely had a good 2018. Um, and then there was uh, the next one, the Permian Basin Hunt Oil Company, is targeting the Sprawberry geological layer, and they have 11 new projects planned for West Texas. Um, so there are you know, several drilling permits, seven horizontal wells. Uh, so Hunt Oil is definitely planning to be active in the Permian. And uh, there's a couple other things in here, but it's a good article. I, I like these drilling downs that uh, that Sergio does. He, he definitely stole our idea of the Texas Roundup. and pretty Yeah, much pretty much stole our it. idea. And he won't come on the show anymore now. He's big time on us, and uh, <laughs> you know it would be it'd be nice, Sergio, if you'd come back on. It'd be nice. So, but no, it's a good good article here. And one thing I did I did take a note was that there were no drilling permits uh, applications filed for horizontal wells in the Barnett Shale, um, but he does say that recently formed operating company Stewart Construction is preparing to drill a vertical well um, in the Young in Young County, which is about six miles northwest of um, Markley. Which is, if you look at the map, it's kind of northwest of Fort Worth. Anyways, um, anyways, so you know, and the reason I bring that up, Josh, is that I've heard for about a year or two now that you know the Barnett might come back, the Barnett might come back, and you know, and then I will hear people get kind of excited about it, but then you hear what Sergio is reporting here, at least for right now, um, that doesn't seem to be the case. So, no, it doesn't. No drilling permits. That's a that's a grim grim look for someone who's banking on the Barnett. That's for sure. And I think Sergio, he had another article, Ron, uh, not much to say here, but there was a, he had an article where private companies are funding ship channel projects. You know, so we talked a little bit about Trafigura, Trafigura, I think we were saying that wrong for a little while, Ron, where uh, they're funding that ship channel um, in, in Corpus. And it looks like, according to Sergio, that this is becoming a, you know, a more common practice. So, uh People listen to the podcast. Yeah, and, and pretty, are, pretty sure we, 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 we've thrown that out of the podcast for you, too. It feels like Sergio's just taking our ideas, putting them out there to the people, and then um, taking the credit <laughs> when it when it works out that way. So, uh, Because, yeah, yeah, we've talked about this for a while, so it's good to see that folks are listening. Obviously, we know Trump's a big listener. Um, so, anyway, it's good to see that folks are taking our ideas well, and well, using them. To, it would just be nice to be... ear of the big Swiss company, uh, yeah, Trafigura, well. so... I'm I'm happy that they're listening as well, and uh, just just Sergio, just credit us one time in an article. That's all we ask for. Just one time. Just per the te- this idea was first generated on the Text One Guest podcast. That's all we ask. Not not much. <laughs> well, Ryan, for the Texas Roundup, uh, we don't have we don't have a whole lot this uh, that it was coming out this week. I mean, there were a few things, but I think the the main one that I saw was pipeline operator Noble Midstream Partners is up for sale. Um, the sources uh, got this from from Reuters, and Noble Midstream is a pipeline operator. They are I don't know that they've disclosed uh, a particular price, but they are up for, up for sale, and I think the, it has that their shares rose seven percent or so um, over year over year. So 
Definitely, definitely a, a company that's planning to sell. And we've talked a little bit about that, Ryan, about some of these smaller companies, if they're going to have success trying to sell this year, um, it may be, it may find it pretty difficult to, to get it done. We have, we have a special guest on the show today, Sarah Stogner. She is the co-host or the host of oil and gas legal risk podcast so sarah it's great to have you on the show today uh, we've been looking forward to getting you on for a couple of weeks now so really appreciate you coming on yeah thanks glad to be here so first off tell us real quick about the oil and gas legal risk podcast yeah i think i'm looking on here on itunes it looks like your first episode came out january 24th we're recording on uh, april 29th actually you have one really, uh, dropped this morning so um, tell us about the show, the genesis of the show, and what makes you want to do an oil and gas legal risk podcast. So long story short, uh, last year, I guess about last February, I got, I was contacted by Mark LaCour, who uh, does the OGGN at the time with Patrick Pister, they were doing the HSE podcast together. And they asked me to come on as a guest and talk about kind of best practices when responding to an incident and a claim and litigation and things like that. So I was a guest and a couple of weeks later, Mark reached out and he said, Hey, you know, we have all the time people that are asking about legal and risk management issues. You are a great guest. Is this something that you'd be interested in doing? And of course, at first I said, no, I don't have time. Um, you know, typical, I've got a four-year-old, I'm a full-time lawyer. I don't have time for that. And the more I thought about it, I, and kind of talked to friends, talked to my husband and said, you know what, even if there's only a few hundred people that are going to listen, if I can help potential clients, if I can help my current clients, if I can help the industry and there's a demand, I guess I'll, I'll try it out. So uh, after about a year of hemming and hawing and, and trying to really decide if I was going to do it, I said, okay, let's, let's go ahead and pull the trigger. So here okay. we are. Yeah. And how, just out of curiosity, how are you liking it? Is it kind of, is it's, it's weird for me to say this when I first started doing it a couple of years ago, you know, we're doing video right now, but uh, for some of them, I don't do video. So you kind of sit there talking to the microphone, you know, I don't know if you record in person or not, but it's, um, it's a weird experience because you send it out into the wild and then you just kind of see the download numbers come in. You're like, well, I, I guess, I, I guess people do like this thing after all, or, or no, they don't. Well, they do. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, I would say almost all of mine are recorded in person. So obviously sometimes you can't, but I like recording people in person. So, so far that's been pretty easy. Although my first episode was just an intro episode where I talked to myself. I didn't have mm -hmm. any guests. Mm -hmm. And that one was a little bit weird because you are, you're just sitting there talking to yourself and you think, well, what if nobody listens or what if I sound uh, ridiculous? You know, nobody likes the sounds of their voice, but in all honesty, I just don't listen to my own episodes it's like i was there <laughs> i yeah. heard us talk so yeah. i don't listen we've got great editors we've got great staff behind the scenes that kind of do all that hard work for me but yeah no i really like it I, I get to learn a lot from my guests i get to meet new people i get to go to conferences and see stuff and hear stuff that i wouldn't otherwise make the time and effort you know mm -hmm. to do so it's good it, it commits me or it obligates me i guess to spend the time and effort to reach out there and and learn from others more than I would do probably otherwise. Yeah. Until we had Nate, I was editing the podcast. And so I'd hear myself, I'd be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, man, I wish I, I didn't mean that. Why'd I say that, you big idiot? So it's been nice to uh, to not have to listen to myself, you know, stumble and bumble around. Um, so I, 
<laughs> I'm envious of you a little bit, I, I should say. Um, so let, let's let's talk. So you, you mentioned you're an attorney, um, and obviously you like dealing with these issues. What is maybe just the the biggest misconception, the biggest thing you get asked about? Um, you know, something that you see regularly that you you go, I just wish people would understand this. It would save them a lot of time, energy, or uh, or money. You know, I, I wish there was a, a one-stop shop. I'm actually working. I've got a friend who's an insurance broker, and I'm trying to come up with a top 10 kind of issue mm-hmm. points for, for us to, to be able to distribute to, to our clients and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing, and and it sounds self-serving, but an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure is really so true in the legal context. And so before you sign something, before you shoot off an email or, or a, a letter to someone, if there's been an incident or you're negotiating a contract, think about having a lawyer help. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you can have a lawyer spend an hour or two on something ahead of time that could save you literally millions of dollars, I mean, that's a pretty extreme example. But uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that we have such an issue is because there hasn't been a change in the way that lawyers bill. Uh, we're still using the same billable time in six minute increments, tenths of right. an hour, right? right? And so a lot of times people don't want to pick up the phone because they know, oh man, I'm going to get a bill. It's going to be 0.3 right. hours for something, right? And so I really think that in the future, there's going to be more of a Netflix type model of for smaller entities that don't have enough demand to have a lawyer in-house all of the time to say, I'm going to pay five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month, whatever it is, depending on their size and need to have the opportunity to have a lawyer for so many hours. And then if I need more, I'll pay for more. If I don't need that much, maybe I can bank some of them. But that way it's kind of like a gym, right? If you're paying for it, maybe you'll use it. Same kind of thing for lawyers. If you're paying for them already, use them, and it's still cheaper than having someone on staff, but they also know your business, and they have the opportunity to probably prevent you from making some big mistakes that could be very costly later on. No, it's, it's funny you mention that because I'm working on an international deal right now, and I was talking to my attorney, and he had to recommend me to some other attorney that dealt with international law and all this stuff, and... And the first thing I said was, because they, they called me up, they're like, hey, yeah, we got all this stuff covered. I'm like, okay, you got to send me some rates over here because I know how this goes. You're going to be billing me for every phone call, every email, uh, stray text that gets sent and stuff like that. And the international rate is a little bit pricier than the normal rate. So we gotta we got to go ahead and do some um, some uh, upfront cost negotiations. But but on the flip side, I, I need them. And so it, it's, you're right. Um, a, a better model would be nice because if they said, hey, look, you know, we'll handle your international needs for, you know, 5000 a month or, or whatever it is. Okay, great. Because initially I need a lot of stuff. But then after that, it's pretty much maybe a phone call here, an email there. And I really don't need a lot, you know, three months from now. It's, it's, it's today going through the prevention mode. Um, but I think that's an interesting point you bring up that, um, you know, Especially oil and gas, we have a lot of startups, a lot of people who are struggling to get their cash, struggling with their checks in the mail um, because the clients are paying, you know, sixty days, ninety days, and those legal fees, while they might be small for the lawyer, um, that's a lot of money for oil and gas folks who are in the startup trying to get their contracts read, and so something like this might be a better solution for them. Yeah, and you know what I do a lot of times is friends that are new or starting out, I'll say, look. 
I'll look at your stuff and kind of help you for free at this point. Just remember when you strike it big, right? Remember who helped you kind of thing. And uh, I think that there's lots of that going on. Uh, It's just a matter of having people understand the risks. And look, sometimes the best risk management is we can't afford to do anything else. As long as we separate everything, worst case, we'll go bankrupt the company will go bankrupt and we'll be okay personally. I mean, that's never ideal, but that is one risk management strategy. And there's a lot of people that are doing that maybe unintentionally, <laughs> but, <laughs> right. um, you know, you, you want to be sure that, for example, if someone goes, if you're trying to negotiate a master service agreement and the other party immediately signs that contract, chances are they're probably not going to have the, the assets to back up the obligations that they're assuming, because I guarantee you, they don't understand it. They didn't have a chance to read it. If they don't come back with any suggestions or changes, that to me is a huge red flag. And people get excited. They're like, oh yeah, this is great. No, that just means that they didn't have someone that either understood it, read it, or they understand it. They know that they can't meet the obligations that are in the contract and they don't care. So when something really bad happens, you're gonna be left litigating all those issues, and, and a lot of times you're going to have uninsured losses. And those are the kind of things where you've got a, um, you know, the company goes bankrupt and they just go away. Interesting. Um, just just on that, just push back here a little bit. One of the things that we do is, you know, we, we look at it where we say, okay, um, we're a very small company. Our clients are obviously very large companies. Um, is it really worth us trying to negotiate with them from a legal perspective? Because their lawyers by default are going to be better. They're on the payroll. Our lawyer, no offense, Scott, but he's, you know, he's not representing um, our clients for a reason. Um, so, you know, we, we sometimes we, we'll, have, we'll have our attorney look at it, obviously, but we don't really spend a lot of time hassling with it because it's like, eh, at the end of the day, they can string us out in litigation for a lot longer than, than we're willing to go. Yeah. Okay. But so two things. One is just because the your lawyer is not representing the majors doesn't mean that he's not smarter than the attorneys that are. That's a good point. Okay. Um, and then second is you got to pick your battles. And so as long as you understand what you're doing and the risk, but a lot of times, so for example, if you guys aren't ever stepping foot on site near an oil and gas well, right. your master service agreement should really be a consulting agreement and it should be mm-hmm. different because, and, and, and one of the great things about oil and gas contracts that other industries aren't as good at doing is I, if you do a true knock for knock indemnity, as an operator, the operator takes responsibility for its people and things, and the contractor takes responsibility for its people and things, because you are in the best situation to ensure your own people and property, right? Mm-hmm. What happens is inevitably we start carving out, we start uh, having conflicting provisions. You have copy and paste errors where someone's negotiating and they say, oh, we had this provision in this other contract. Oh and they copy and paste it. it, it's just, it creates all sorts of problems. So I would say um, just because you're negotiating with even a super major doesn't mean that they're not willing to listen to the reason that you're redlining. And if you go in and say, for example, one of the issues I'm seeing right now is warranty provisions 
that are conflicting with indemnity obligations, especially in the fracking context. So what happens is the warranty will say that the contractor has to perform the services in a good and workmanlike manner. They have to either use new or certified use products. They have to ma properly maintain their equipment, things like this. In, in the context of a house, like say we're gonna build a house, right? And you hire a contractor to build a house and you agree that this is the floor plan. It's gonna be a two bedroom, 2000 square foot, or you know, two story, 2000 square foot, four bedroom, three bath house, whatever. And then six months later, you go out there and the guy's building you a condo complex. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't build me what I asked, right? I mean, right. so in, in certain contexts, it's really easy to see there's been a breach of, of warranty. It's totally different in the oil and gas context where we don't have a camera to see downhole. Yes, yes, I know right. there's technology where you can see so before. Sure. People go back. But generally, right, if something really bad happens, uh, we don't have a camera to see exactly what happened. Maybe it was because there was a copy and paste error on the drilling plan. Maybe it's because the guy that was pressing the button on the um, detonator that was actually going to frack the well, it went off at the wrong time or it malfunctioned or the guy was drunk from the night before, right? I mean, there's all sorts of different reasons. And if you don't do the job properly, in my mind, the, uh, if, the if you hire a contractor to build X and he doesn't build X, he's responsible for making sure that X happens. In a well context, if you pay somebody to frack your well and they frack it improperly, not in accordance with the, how the specifications said that they should be fracked, you could lose the well. So if you're spending three or $400,000 on a frack job, but the AFE for the total well is a million and a half dollars, one of the issues we're seeing right now is, well, the frack company says, well, I'm only responsible for either refracking the well or reimbursing the amount that you paid. Well, if you don't frack it the way that it's supposed to be fracked, I'm sorry, I think you should be responsible for the cost of the well. What good does it do you if I have to redrill a well that's a million and a half dollars and I get, oh, you're going to redo on the old well that I can't use anymore? Well, right. that's useless, right? right? So there's some there's wording out there that people have been accepting and signing MSAs for years and years because it started out as the IADC standard form and it's been modified for the non drilling context into other areas. But if people don't understand the background and the reasoning, then when they're negotiating, they're not open to listening to why that's maybe not the best language. So if you have somebody that knows what they're talking about and knows what they're doing, you can go in and talk to even the biggest, baddest boys and, and get stuff modified because they're going to realize, oh, yeah, that actually doesn't make sense in this context. And we don't want to be the nexus, next Fifth Circuit case saying why this $10 right. million issue isn't covered. And so um, I'd say don't, don't get too discouraged. If you push back a little, uh, you'd be, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised at what you that, could get. Yeah, that's helpful. Okay, so let me ask you this real quick. I know we are running up against the clock here, so let me ask you this. Um, we talk a lot about M&A, um, obviously with the oil and gas companies, you know, the Chevron and Darko deal, um, and Oxy getting in there, not asking you to, to give your legal opinion on that. But M&A happens a lot. We talk about it from the standpoint of the, the oil and gas companies buying each other out, but obviously on the service side, it happens a lot too. You know, um, you know, someone wants to buy an oil field services company or something like that. Just for entertainment purposes only, we'll say, give us maybe some things if you are going to sell your company or you're looking to acquire a company, just some things 
that you might want to consider um, before you go through the selling process or if you're the buyer, um, again, for, for entertainment purposes only, we'll say. Yeah, so I was actually driving my daughter to school this morning and heard on NPR that uh, the Bayer stockholders are really upset because Bayer bought Monsanto last year and there's been some judgments recently where Monsanto is being held responsible for Roundup alleged allegedly causing cancer, right? And the Monsanto stockholders are saying, you guys did not do your due diligence before buying Monsanto to fully understand those cases that were pending because those cases had been filed before the, the purchase was made, right? So in the oil and gas context, I see that a lot in let's understand what type of liabilities are out there. And I mean, P&A liabilities, you know, so decommissioning stuff, especially if you're talking about offshore, you know, there's some really huge decommissioning obligations, even onshore though. Uh, what, what's your P&A liabilities? What's your contamination responsibilities? I've been saying for a long time, I think that the next kind of round of issues is going to be saltwater disposal. Where has your saltwater disposal been going? Is it in private yeah. wells? Has it been going to public disposal wells right. where it's commingling with all these other people's chemicals and substances and we don't know where it's going? You know, I mean, I think that so what kind of insurance is there? Do you have copies of all the policies? Were all of the entities that were under that same corporate umbrella listed as named insured? What type of limits did you have? Are those, who were the insurers? What's the reputation of the insurers? I think so often the MA guys, and look, I don't, I don't write those agreements, right? I don't write purchase and sale agreements, but I have people that call me all the time and say, hey, will you look at these indemnity provisions? Why aren't we including additional insured requirements in purchase and sale agreements between exploration and production companies? I don't know. And I, and I suspect it's because the guys that are so good at the transactional lawyers, they're so good and used to writing, especially for publicly traded companies, those obligations to make sure that, that they meet SEC requirements. See, I don't touch any of that, right? right. My day-to-day -day basis is... Uh, indemnities and insurance. So I know that stuff really, really well. So get all of that other stuff hammered out. And then before you sign it, consult with someone like me that does this indemnity and insurance work to make sure that you're not um, assuming obligations that one are either not insured or that the way that you contract, you're not contracting yourself out of insurance and other potential sources of income that that are going to hurt yourself okay no that's great stuff okay so we have the oil and gas legal risk podcast you are pretty active on linkedin i think to put it mildly i see you post pretty regularly on there with your uh, oil and gas unicorn uh, and stuff like that. Um, people that listen to this, they say, you know what? Um, obviously, we're going to link to the podcast in the show notes, and we'll link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. But is there anywhere anywhere else you want to direct them to that they might want to connect with you if they want to, you know, yeah, maybe get some legal advice or you know, just network or whatever the case may be? Yeah, yeah. So, like you like you said, you can find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Stogner, S T O G N E R. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. If you want like a little bit closer look at my personal life, I do share a lot on LinkedIn, but I am oil gas unicorn on Instagram. And then my email is sstogner at flanaganpartners.com. So I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. It was uh, great. Love to get you on here, maybe again in a few months and I'm sure something will be the issue of the day. And I uh, would love to get you on to talk about that at that time.
Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, we have another guest today, uh, Kelly Bennett. With He's the co-founder of B3 Insight. He's joining us today. Kelly, we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, so we know that the folks over at Drilling Info helped set this up. So first, thanks to John for helping um, with this. Um, I know you guys talk about water, have some insights on water. Water's obviously, it seems like everywhere I go, there's always a question about what's going on with water. Um, so kind of give us, from your perspective, what's the 30,000-foot view with water in the Permian Basin? Yeah, you know, that, that's absolutely true. And, it, and it's funny how um, how much the, the discussion of water has changed, especially in the Permian it started with where in the world are we going to get water and now the big question is where in the world are we going to put all of this water that the Permian is, is producing. And so high level, uh, Permian is producing a tremendous amount of water. Um, right now we think there's a surplus of right around uh, a little over 4 billion barrels a year of water that has to find a home getting produced out of the whole Permian. Um, and that is going to increase over the next decade. Uh, the primary um, sort of outlet for that water is disposal. There's a ton of disposal being operated, being built, some really interesting companies coming together to address the, the, the water disposal issues in the Permian. Um, and, you know, the, the, the big question is, how is that industry going to come together? How is it going to serve the E&P industry? And, um, you know, how is everything going to shake out over the next decade? You know, it feels like, and Josh and I have talked about this on the show before, it feels like that um, sometimes in the industry we kind of get behind the curve, you know, and we're not really, um, you know, we don't talk about the issues. But the water issue, it feels like it, it, it's being talked about enough that um, the issues that we face and the obstacles that there's, we're already kind of, I don't want to say we're out in front of it, maybe the wrong term, but at least it's it's in the, the discussion. We talk about it on this show and other shows talk about it. Um, we got companies like yourself. It's not something that it feels like three to five years from now we're going to wake up and go, oh my gosh, what do we do? It feels like we're trying to couple those issues now. Is that a pretty good assessment, at least of the of the broader conversation what's going on here? I think it really is. I think that the challenge is is just, you know, we're talking about it. The, the challenge is how do we get from where we are today to a future uh, that can deal with the magnitude of the issue around water? And, and when I say magnitude, I just mean the sheer volumes of it. Um, but I do think that the industry has been really proactive. Um, you know, even some of the partnerships that the industry is doing with academia to understand some of the nuances of disposal. Um, it, you know, it, I don't think it's really catching people by surprise, uh, to your point. Yeah. yeah and so, so where would you it say... is also an issue. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say it is an issue that is, is, is rapidly accelerating. And so, um, there is no such thing as being too proactive thinking about what water means today and, and over the next you know, few years, because it's, I mean, it's tens of billions of dollars of investment that are going to be needed just to handle this aspect of production in the Permian. Right. And so with that being said, where would you say maybe the conversation around water was last year? Where is it now? And where is it going as we go through 2019? Mm -hmm. I think last year people were talking about the fact that there's a little bit of you know concern here and there about um, available capacity of disposal. Um, I think in general, there's a a lot of energy behind building different kinds of companies to provide disposal and treatment services. Uh, now a lot of that is translating into a lot of energy and excitement around the consolidation of some of those companies. 
um, we're going to keep seeing that. Uh, you're moving away from a world that is focused on, you know, on, on piping fresh water from wherever you can find it. Um, and, you know, also looking, I think, into the future, we're going to be talking more about uh, full life cycle water management. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a theme. You're starting to see it arise in places like university lands where they've been able to work with different, um, you know, different service providers to create more holistic offerings that include everything from, you know, disposal to a lot of transportation and treatment or cycling to, uh, to kind of manage the whole water footprint, whole water life cycle. And I think that's something that's going to continue this year and certainly into the future. And so where do you guys at uh, B3 kind of fit in with this? We covered kind of a, the 30,000 foot. Let's kind of narrow it down here. So what are you guys doing? What are you offering? And what kind of maybe set you apart from some of your competitors? Yeah, so our our real reason for operating in, in this industry is to make sure that all of these big, hairy issues around water um, are our answer of using the best possible data and insight that that's out there. And so we build different kinds of data and analytical products to address really the full life cycle of water issues in the oil fields. Uh, in the Permian, that obviously is pretty focused on disposal data, although we look at sourcing and, and other, and other um, aspects of the water life cycle. Um, but a lot of it relates to disposal data and really unlocking the insight that different kinds of companies need to make good decisions um, around disposal, whether that is permitting and citing new disposal, acquiring capacity, acquiring customers, finding vendors, um, really every facet of, of that industry is, uh, is addressed in our data. And the other thing that we do um, that's really important to us, we, we always have this, this mantra, eat your own dog food. And um, what that really boils down to is we do a, a tremendous amount of of analysis and interrogation of our data. Um, so what, a culmination of that, for example, might be in different kinds of, of consulting services that we offer. So we work with some of the investment groups and different, different stakeholders who are trying to understand the industry and some of the assets in the industry. Um, and then also some broader um, studies that we do. We, we just launched one um, with Drilling Info in, in partnership with Drilling Info and some industry stakeholders. So some uh, producers uh, and, and other stakeholders to really define a core analytical platform and, and basis for looking at Permian water as a whole uh, on the demand side for water supply for hydraulic fracturing and then on the capacity and um, utilization side of the disposal um, of the disposal industry. Do you guys feel like water is, is something that's going to be kind of the big sexy topic here for the next two to three years, or do you think we're going to eventually kind of plateau out and kind of um, where it's not, uh, as you mentioned, we started off with uh, the, the discussion's got to change, but it feels like um, from some of the reports that Josh and I are reading that it's still kind of, hey, this is the this is where we'd be looking at. Um, you compare that with sand. We had covered a story two weeks ago with sand where sand last year was the talk, and now sand I think is down was it seventy percent, Josh, the value of sand or something like yeah, that? Yeah. Um, so is is water something that's going to be uh, go the way of sand, where it was kind of the hype and it falls off, or is it really something that we can look forward to three to four or five years from now? Um, something that's going to be in the news regularly. 
I think the latter is the case. And the reason why is just the magnitude of, of the water volumes that are going to be coming out of the Permian. So again, if you believe in a low price scenario, so our low price scenario is defined by uh, an average price in the, in the low to mid fifties for the next 10 years. So, you know, cash prices today and, and the near part of the forward curve would say that's too low. Um, you know, that, that says basically, uh, a, a fairly flat drilling activity over the next decade. Um, and you end up with net and a significant net increase in the amount of water that the, that the industry is going to have to deal with in the Permian, um, barring any other technology, barring bigger wells. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that fact and then also just the reality that the the water industry itself is in, is still in a pretty nascent stage you know it's, it's really just kind of kicking off uh in in my opinion um i think that says that that we're going to be looking at this as a as a big part of of uh, permian production economics and understanding into the future of the permian uh for the long term Okay, we'll let you go with this final question. What the heck is a P-18? <laughs> uh, the mystical P-18 uh, is a form that is filled out by uh, operators of saltwater disposal wells um, that are taking off lease materials. So really any commercial facility that is taking um, those materials, uh, it, it actually tends to be focused on skim oil. Um, but what you get with all that data when you start pulling it apart is um, oftentimes an understanding um, of the number of barrels of water that are brought to these different disposal facilities uh, by operator, so by, by the ENP customer, oftentimes even by lease. So it gives you the ability to really dig into the amount of water that is likely going down hole in certain areas, where it came from, um, and then obviously also be able to link that to the temporal side of things. So you can really understand how and when uh, the market is changing. Um, it's pretty fascinating when you really start zooming out and looking at all the data and working with it. You can really see how the geography of the Permian has changed, even from a water disposal standpoint. Uh, and that's a lot of what we're focused on being able to help um, provide in, in clean and usable data data in analytical formats for our customers. Yeah, and if you go to b3insight.com, go to the blog, you can see the title, What the Heck is a P18, which is where I got that from. They have other helpful tips and tools and resources there. Um, okay, I know you guys were just at the recent Doug event up here in Fort Worth. Um, do you have any conferences or events that you will be going to that listeners might can connect? Where would you like them to get, connect with you at? Your website, LinkedIn, um, let's, let's point them in the right direction here. Yes, uh, we actually are going to be at a bunch of a bunch of different conferences and events over the course of the year. Um, uh, an upcoming one is the Texas uh, Midstream uh, Conference um, in June. Fourth and fifth. Yeah, we'll also be at Doug uh, Doug Rockies here um, in oh, Denver. I'll be there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Well, let's catch up uh, in May. Uh, the Executive Oil Conference um, later in the fall. Uh, we'll be at a host of different events, um, and they'll all be posted on our website and, and obviously on LinkedIn as well. Okay, good deal. And for the listeners, we might have an announcement. We had to 
get on Nate to get this done, we might have an announcement about Josh and I being out there for the Doug Midstream Conference in Midland, Texas. I think it's the 4th and 5th or 5th and 6th. Anyways, we might have an announcement. So um, not only can you connect with the folks at B3, uh, Josh and myself might be out there as well. Okay, B3Insight.com, again, is the website. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Anything else before we get you out of here? Thanks to you guys. Um, and, and like I said, if anybody has questions or any listeners are, are uh, interested in learning more about what water, uh, what our outlook for water is in the Permian or about water issues in general, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us through our website. We've got a team of people here who are the smartest in the biz and um, really understand that data. Okay, Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, thank you guys. Take care. All right, we want to uh, give a thanks again to Mr. Kelly Bennett uh, for coming on the show. It was great having him home, uh, as well as Sarah. We really appreciate her giving us uh, giving us some time this morning as well. Uh, with that, I think that wraps us up for today, Ryan. Is there anything else we want to mention before we close it out? Nope, long show. We did tease that we might be out in Midland for the conference. Um, I'm going to say, Nate, we got to have that wrapped up by next week, so here is your public public call out so nate get that done we should be out there june 5th and 6th with an event we have been talking about so the listeners should know sign up for the fishing trip at text oil and gas pot uh text oil and gas podcast.com slash fishing and until next time keep on fishing.